And now, another cup of... The London Fog. And we're back. Yes, we are. Not too much has happened, because it's just a few days after we last recorded. I feel like so much has happened. Really? Well, today, Brexit... Oh, I, I guess what I meant was the royal family didn't do that much. Yeah, the royal That's family the news didn't do anything. That I care about. Yeah, <laughs> the ro- but the Prime Minister Theresa May has asked the EU for a delay of Brexit because, well, nobody can agree on anything. Nobody knows what Brexit is, and we're still all confused. I hope that's what she really said. I really nobody hope so knows too. what Brexit Brexit is. Um. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting because everybody was like. Thinking that it was going to happen on March 29th, but we don't know. Well, actually, we know. The answer is no. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> so, but I still don't really understand what's Okay, but, there. like, what if the EU is like, no, you wanted to leave and we're forcing you out. Right? And they're all like, screw you. You haven't done anything. You haven't do. been helpful. It's kind of like when somebody breaks up with you and then they come crawling back and you're like, nah. <laughs> I'm over you, loser. <laughs> I mean, I know that neither of us ever do that. We're always like, yes, okay. <laughs> Why not? But, but someday, someday, someday right? somebody, other people do that. Other people do that. <laughs> um, anything new in your life? Um, let's see. You know, I don't know. I feel like it's been spring break here. So actually, oh man, work has been amazing because normally when I get to work, I'm later than everyone else. And so I have to go to the fifth floor of the parking garage. I've been parking on the first floor because everyone uh, took work out because they're staying with their kids. No, it's the truth because I've been like, where's all this parking coming from? And it's been primo. Primo yeah. parking spots. It's amazing. I did, uh, I told Leah this, but I'll tell everybody else this. I did skydiving the first time which was incredible like not like out of the plane but one of those like indoor skydiving the tube things and I'm all signed up for my classes so I still have like two or three more so we are gonna do as much podcasting as possible before she jumps out of a real plane (laughs) just in case case. (laughs) (laughs) no no I'm saying that they have like virtual reality ones though now where you can like be in the tube with the goggles on that shows like a video of you like Falling? Oh, it's kind of like Soaring California Ride at California Adventure. Yeah, yeah, kind of a thing. So that you can, like, of course, it's all like, here, do this one over Dubai, and this one's over Paris. Like, Yeah, but you don't want to ruin your actual skydiving, like, experience I don't going know. to awesome places. What happens if, like, I'm not going to go anywhere awesome. We're in Texas. I'm just going to go over some random well, blank field. Well, that's what I mean. So you shouldn't ruin it by, like... Doing the virtual reality of Dubai and being like, this is amazing. And then you're just like an hour outside of Houston and you land on a cow. Like, that's not going to be fun. That's not climactic at all. No, but what happens, I'm, that is the one thing because I kind of get on the tube. And yes, like the first like 15 seconds, I was like, I'm going to like suffocate because I don't know how to breathe in here. But I think the bigger thing was I was like, okay, there's like a net down there. There's like the ceiling up there and it's only like X amount of feet. And it's all blank and whatever. I think more of the fear now would just be to watch the earth get, like, closer and closer. So I almost feel like practicing one of these, like, big cities that I'd never be able to do once. Just so I can see kind of that. Because I think that's where I'd freak out. I don't know. I've heard from people who've done it that it's, like, it's so far away that it, like, doesn't even feel real at all. Like, you're just kind of like, do-do-do, oh, look, there's the world. Oh, now it's coming closer, right. but it still looks fake. Like- and they say that you only fall for, like, a minute and a half, so, like, 90 seconds. Okay, I've now done that a couple of times, feel pretty good. Um, but that your, like, I don't know, your float, your coasting down is, like, five to six minutes. I kind of wonder if that's when I would start to freak out, being like, okay, like, I just want to get on the ground. <laughs> yeah. Going so slow. Five or six minutes could... That's a, a long, really long time. time. Yeah. Where at first where they're all like, oh, you only fall for like a minute and a half. I was like, I can do that. I can do that. But you're still really high for like five, six minutes. Yeah. Just coming on down. That sounds horrible. Yeah. Don't do it. But if you do it, um, you should fly to Hawaii to do it. 
Okay. Everybody tells me that's the best. I'm never doing it in my life, but I can, I people try tell it. me that's the coolest place because you have like ocean and island oh. and like, you know. And and they'll still do it where somebody's like attached onto my, yeah, my yeah. back. Okay. Okay. I can see that. I just, Mind you, I think wasn't it also just here in the last couple of days that those Boeing planes have been like grounded because they keep like crashing for no reason? Well, one crash. Two. <laughs> Two crash. But one in Ethiopia was the last one and then the other I can't one remember that started one. it. <laughs> A while ago. But yeah, I guess it was like two two months ago or something. But now I'm going like, how am I going to get there? The planes aren't going. Well. <laughs> There's plenty of planes. There's not not that. It's like a specific kind of 737. Yeah. 737 Max yeah. 8 or of something like that. There's not actually that many. Of right. Them. But still. And, and they're only used for domestic flights. So, oh, I mean, go. while Hawaii is technically domestic, it's too long of a flight. I'm it still waiting for that. Southwest to go. I've got all of them. All them points. Mm -hmm. And I'm all like, let's go. But they keep being like, oh, it'll happen this year. No, it already happened. Oh, it's happening this year. Flights are for sale. Are they? People were buying them because they were so cheap. They were like 80 bucks. When? I can't believe you missed this. This was like a week ago. What? Yeah. There's been, they've been releasing like new seats like every few days. And people are freaking out and like buying them because they're so cheap because it's like $80 one way. Well, I've heard because if they start that, then like start checking things like Hawaiian Air and blah, 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 because everybody else is going to have to compete. So. So actually. So when. Shoot. Yeah. I think they start flying in like May. I'm Googling. What? Okay. Don't Google right now. We need to focus. Okay. Okay. I'm so so focused. (laughs) There's none for sale right now, so you don't need to worry. Like, they're already sold out. Every That's day, just you need to dumb. check in the morning. Um, anyway, back to our focus. Of, of English stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and the purpose of this podcast. We're doing some romance today. We are. Welcome back, guys. This is the London Fog, if we didn't mention before. Which we did We never introduced the podcast. I'm Kate. And I'm Leah. And we're awesome. I just thought I'd put a pin in that and see who'd catch on and be like, yeah, I feel it. I feel that energy right, from these girls. So I think it's your turn to go first this week. It is. It is. It is. And I was, you know, to be honest, I semi hate this topic, the romance ones. Um, not hate. It's just that I, they're proving to be harder than I expected. But this one was actually probably another one on like my top five list. So I'm excited to talk about it. So I'm talking about... Elizabeth Barrett and Robert Browning. Mm, that's a good one. Right? They're <laughs> really freaking great. So, um, between the two of them, so before we even start, I was going to ask you who you prefer in their poetry Barrett or Browning? Um, I think actually Browning. See, and that was also me. It's. Out of the books, which I don't have tons in my apartment at this moment, like, I have more browning, but I think I relate better to her. Well. <laughs> Obviously, because she's female, but. Yeah. Um, but I really like her, her writings quite a bit, I think, more. <laughs> <laughs> um, because, did you ever read the Aurora Lay in, in high school? I Probably. I don't it's like remember. that big eight part, like, I don't want to call it an epic, but I don't know what you call a blank verse poem that has multiple, like, portions. An epic? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's just call it that. Great. I remember reading that and being like, wow, this is really in depth. But something about his was always kind of satirical, a little black yeah, humor. Yeah, I think that's why I like it better. Accessible. Because it's like, I don't know. Rhymey? Yeah. It, it's just, like, fun to read. Right. Whereas hers is, like, more intense to It read. is. It's a yeah. bit more intense. But I guess also as I was, like, researching about their relationships and, uh, like, their relationship and them as individuals, I guess I was just leaning more towards well, hers and more interesting also, person. because, like, I don't think I've read anything of theirs since college. Yeah. High school which college. Which was, like, ten years ago. Yeah. So maybe now I would, you know, like... Yeah. I don't know. Taste change. <laughs> I remember being like trying to be so 
artistic and I was doing a show in Canada and went to an old bookstore and they had like books of poetry and I bought like three books of browning and I would like sit there with my tea and drink my or read my browning and drink tea. You must have been really annoying that summer. Oh totally I'm sure I was all like I'm so deep and I have so much emotions. So those are my browning books. Everyone who knew you was like oh my gosh. (laughs) Gave her away from the poetry man. Um, so, okay, let's start. Okay. Elizabeth Barrett, uh, Browning, uh, and Robert Browning had a beautiful relationship, but I'm going to talk about them a little individually before we get started. So Elizabeth, because I think I like her more now that I've like researched her, we're going to start with her. She was born March 6th of 1806, and she was the oldest of 12 children. This is the Victorian era that's a lot of kids, once again. Um, her family came into money by being um, slave owners, and they owned um, a sugar mill and plantations really? in the Jamaicas. And, uh, oh, in the Jamaicas. Okay, I was like, I feel like yeah. England didn't really have like a lot of slavery. Right, but, right. Okay. In, in what now I guess would be kind of like the Commonwealth like yeah. area and um, regions. So that's where the family all got their money from. Um, The family name was so like precious and coveted that not only were they, every kid, of course, given the name of Barrett uh, for a surname, but usually a middle name as well. So her full name was Elizabeth Barrett Moulton Barrett. And all of the kids have that. Elizabeth Barrett Moulton Barrett. Yeah. And they all had it because they were trying to keep with the squirearchy, which I try to look up, which was just like preservation of name, even if you remarry, um, you would just keep Barrett. But her parents were a little wackadoodle, and her father had just let all the kids know that I guess if one of her brothers were going to get married... It would be fine, but, like, none of the girls could get married because they'd be disinherited because they would no longer have a surname of Barrett. Hmm. Weird, right? I don't get it. Um, Because they wanted to preserve that money and make sure it was always Barrett money. So, she was the eldest of 12 kids. There were eight boys and four girls. Uh, Her nickname was Ba. Just Ba. (laughs) She rode a pony, and they had good money, so there was always, like, little small theater troops coming into the house, and she got along really well with all of her siblings, especially a couple of of the older brothers. Uh, I thought you said she was the oldest. Well, she is the oldest, but I'm just saying, like, the older, like, crew. I mean, there's 12 of them. Yeah, that's true. You're not going to be, like, besties with number 12. (laughs) (laughs) Even if you be a brother... Um, she was educated at home along with, uh, her two older brothers. And that's where she developed a passion for reading and also, uh, writing her own, uh, poetry at, she began writing poetry at the age of four and her parents saw something, uh, already really interesting and in-depth and mature about her writing as a juvenile that Miss Elizabeth Barrett is one of the only poets that they label has juvenilia as like a genre of like juvenile poetry that her parents saved everything so she just has collections and collections Um, her father called her the poet laureate of Hope End, that was the name of their home. But the Poet Laureate was a huge, like, the national endowment by, given by the queen saying, like, you are a poet. Mm-hmm. Um, which at this time, I think Wordsworth has? Mm, yes, Wordsworth, currently, while she was in her childhood, was, like, the national poet. So... Uh, life is good. Life is great. We get to about 1920. So she's about 15 at this point. And she starts to develop an illness, which they couldn't diagnose by science then. And even now, 
they're not really sure because what she had was extremely rare. Um, it seems that three of the girls came down with the same syndrome where they had an intense like headache and spine pain. The other two girls seemed to recover, uh, but they kind of guessed and tried to make sense. They're all like, well, maybe she fell off her pony <laughs> and <laughs> caused this like paralysis, but she ends up going like semi, well, they call her semi-invalid because she can't really fully function. Sometimes she can get up and walk around. Sometimes she can't. Sometimes her legs don't work at all. Sometimes they do. Sometimes she's super sick, and then sometimes she's not. So this gets diagnosed around 1920, um, which is super sad. I'm still kind of curious. Everything that I looked up, there was one thing that said, like, we think this is what she had. Um, So... Of course, when that happens, you know, she's 15. What did they give her? They give her liquid opium to start healing her wounds, which they say likely also only aided to her problems. Because, yes, it kind of masks things, but it also just agitates nerve endings and kills them. So it was probably what also contributed to her frail health. So, but with that being said, she's now like, 15, 16, and is just a smidge of a buzz, a little on that high side. So she starts writing really great. (laughs) And right around this time, she starts to also um, discover some earlier writers, which I thought was really cool. In 1821, she writes down that she had just finished reading Mary Wollstonecraft's uh, Vindication of the Rights of Women, who, as I think in an earlier episode, that is the mother of Mary Shelley. So, um, and just starts to grow a little bit of her own feminist views. She also starts to get very strong against that we need um, the abolishment of slavery, which that's how her family has been making all of their money. So her dad wasn't really thrilled (laughs) about that. So then there's just like this little clump of time from about, she now gets to be just past her 20, like she's like 21, 22. And her grandma dies. Two of her brothers either um, die from a fever or one drowns sailing um, out somewhere in the base of like Africa. And she takes that terribly. So once again, her body goes into you know remission or she's having a really hard health time and she's really at the low and that's also right around the time that Britain decides we will abolish slavery so now her family has also lost a huge part of their income so they're not as well off and to do so she kind of hermits in a little bit and it's right around this time that she meets Robert Browning who Robert Browning was born May 7th of 1812. So just to put that in context, Elizabeth is six years older than Robert. He doesn't come from a real um, fancy family, but I would say that they're like middle class, maybe lower middle class, but fine enough. What are your dates? Because you've said 1920 and then you also said 1812. Sorry, 1812. 1920. Why did I say 1920? You said that's when she was 15. So you meant 1820. Oh, I meant 1820. Okay, sorry. Okay. I'm sorry, just sorry. like, like yes. the timelines, I just need to be clear. <laughs> They're all over the place. It's yes. Like, sorry. Okay. Nothing in this recording has anything about the 1900s in it on my side. Okay, that's what I thought. So I'm just like, going to like. Do I really not know anything about that? <laughs> just correction that right now so people understand. <laughs> we are only in the 1800s. Okay. Um, so, yes. She's only six years older, not like a hundred years older. Um, His uh, family is, like I said, decent, well off to do. He hated school, didn't really work out for him. So his parents also had him privately um, tutored. Funny enough, his family also makes a decent amount of little bit of money from his grandparents being slave over uh, slave owners in St. Kitts in the West Indies. So, uh, though Browning's father doesn't see much of that money because he's, from the very beginning, an abolitionist, 
don't believe in the slavery, not going to take the money. Um, so at both this time, Barrett's writing her stuff, which from an early age, she was already being slowly published as like, hey, she's like a child poet and now she's growing and there's actually meat and material to her life that has been super tragic and she's been high on opium since she's been 15. <laughs> so she's actually really making a name for herself where Browning doesn't, well, he's another one of these artists that just get tortured by the fact that he does not really become famous until he's dead, but he has a little bit of fame in, in his living years. Um, but before he meets Elizabeth, nothing is really mm, all that great. He has one or two things that like, um, catch some notoriety he wrote a couple of plays that did okay some didn't even make it onto the stage um he went to italy and wrote uh sordello which is a long poem in heroic couplets and it's kind of along the same lines as dante's divine comedy and it had like a decent amount of mixed reviews but definitely it gained him the reputation of being kind of careless and obscure and a mm -hmm. little dark humorish so i think that's what we know him as yeah um so they have a mutual friend Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> it's true it all comes to families and friends that's how you meet people this whole like swiping business i don't know if that really works maybe it works i feel like it's people saying like hey have you met my friend john and you're like why, hello. You know? Yeah. No, that's true. So, <laughs> it's as it was then, it is now. They uh, they meet through... I'm looking for his name, of course. I start talking about it. And I can't find it. Do-do-do-do-do-do. Uh, well, his name is not important. I will find it at some point. <laughs> they meet through this friend. And... Browning says that he has been reading some of her uh, poems and he, I don't know, he's kind of a, I don't know, a guy that's crazily in love because from the get-go when he meets, like, meets her, he's already written to her once saying, like, I'm in love with your verses with all of my heart. Like, he loves her through her word. And then he meets her and finds that she's an invalid and it kind of just starts out as this, like, a slow-burning romance. There was something that definitely attracted them to each other. But her father, of course, doesn't approve because, well, I guess his last name is not Barrett. But also, he comes from a lower class. He didn't even go to school. He's probably just trying to get some money in a way. And she's way more popular at this point. Even by this point, Wordsworth has died and it has now, she's been published so much that it is between her and Tennyson to become the next poet laureate. Mm -hmm. Who's going to be the one that the nation considers I mean, I'm their poet? Tennyson. It ends up being Tennyson, <laughs> but he's still. a guy, no, because he writes really well. But, um, but they, uh, so she's like super successful. But here she is, like, she doesn't let anybody into her life. It's like one of those Rigoletto moments. Do you remember that, like, 1990s film of, like, the guy that always stays inside and oh, plays the music yeah. and the little girl comes over and becomes his friend? It's like one of those. She's famous. People know her, but she never leaves her house. She doesn't have very much confidence, and she's always coming in and out of being sick. Well, no wonder she falls in love with him then. I mean, it's, like, the only man she knows. Kind of, in a way, <laughs> but also, like... He's a guy in the same kind of profession. He's not doing as great, but he really encourages her. And um, I don't know. There's something just genuine about it, even though it kind of seems like either way. Like, she, exactly. She's never seen another guy, so she could just, like, glom onto him. Or he looks at her and being like, she's super successful at what I do, and I want to get some of that name rubbed up on me, you know? Yeah. But the fact is, is I think they genuinely really loved one another. Um Freak, his name was Canaan. That's why I wanted to remember the, the friend. Uh-oh. <laughs> um, so they met on May 20th of 1845. I put emphasis there. <laughs> In her rooms uh, at her house. And uh, 
they began writing back and forth and I read some of their uh, letters to one another and they're very beautiful. You can find them all on Baylor.com. They have all, they're just called the Browning Letters and they have pretty much all of this stuff that they've written to each other and to other people. Uh, during this time, she starts writing probably her biggest things and uh, also him. So she writes the sonnets for the Portuguese and uh, Aurora Lay and he writes Men and Women during the time that they're secretly writing one another because her parents didn't approve and to well, becoming at that married point, she's like 25 you think that they would be like all right yeah because they're <laughs> okay so it's 1845 Ooh, i love this game us and mathing um and she was born in 1806 oh, so she's 39 she's, yeah, she's way older than i she's was about to say way older and i kind of think you know this is genuinely a, a romance that she's Yes, never had, but like somebody that's like her equal. So they write for about a year and then they decide that they're going to get married. So they get married, uh, but they do it in secret. They get married uh, at a private marriage at St. Millibone Parish Church and keep it quiet for about two weeks uh, until she runs away with him to Italy in September so just two weeks later and the only people that witnessed the uh their marriage was her loyal nurse Wilson uh who then accompanied them to Italy so Mr. Barrett her father definitely disinherits her and because well now she doesn't have the Barrett name I don't get it but there it is and but the thing that I think broke her heart a bit was that her brothers that she was closest with, the ones that she had been educated with, they also rejected her getting married. And I'm all like, come on, she's 39 years old. Yeah, which is like quite old for back then. Right. And you and they probably already have families of their own. You think they'd be like, okay, great, our sister's taken care of. Right? <laughs> but no. Maybe it's because they're all like, he's. she has a name for herself. She's almost 40 and she's was almost like the national poet. And now she's, like, married some peasant. I don't get it, but <laughs> whatever. Uh, so they get to Italy. By the time they get there, she's kind of a little sickly. But she gets better, and that's actually, when she gets better, it's the healthiest that she's been in her life. And uh, Robert is writing Men and Women and actually starts to get some good publications out and good notoriety, and people love them. Like, even though now they're living in Italy... They go there, quote, for her health, because I guess that's what you did back then. <laughs> yeah, everybody went to Italy. Right, when you're health. like, to get the airs or whatever, yeah. be closer to the water. Um, England still really considered them like their poet couple, you know? Mm -hmm. And so while she was there, this part, freak, I was like reading it, and I have like four exclamation points. She grew stronger and stronger, and in... 1849 at the age of 43 and she had four miscarriages she has a son they have a baby i'm so happy who they nicknamed pen like a pen like mm. a writing pen a little nerdy but okay right robert winman barrett browning that they called pen which then happiest note followed by the saddest note their son would later marry, but had no legitimate children. <laughs> legitimate children? Yeah, exactly. I was all like, oh, you have this beautiful, like, parents of, like, self-sacrificing, going against, you know, family wishes, really finding somebody they connect with, and and you <laughs> apparently got married and probably had some children, but just not with your wife. Bummer. Uh, so... They live there. They both produce uh, quite a bit of literature and poems. Both really open up about their political views during this time. Like I said, that it's just been a handful of years between um, the abolishing of slavery in Britain. They also, Browning talked quite a bit about anti-Seminist and about... How some people then, like, guess maybe he was Jewish. But I read everything that he was evangelist to atheist to Jew, uh, to Jewish. I 
don't think we will ever know what religion Browning was. Um, and then Barrett, she covered quite a bit of the children's rights in England and wrote quite a few poems about and and short epic words works about children labor laws Mm. so they got very political with what they were doing and uh i don't know just had the voice of the people that definitely made them um, a part of the the nation's voice at that point so they uh write all their stuff they come out uh back from i'm sorry they come back from italy uh, but only, I'm sorry, only Robert comes back from Italy once Elizabeth passes away, which is very, very sad. Finally, whatever was wrong with her, which they have guessed speculated, was hypochlamatic periodic paralysis. Oh, weird. It has to do with the potassium levels in your blood that if it gets too high can cause a weakening of your muscles so much to the point that you can't move them but it can fluctuate um so finally she gives way to this at the age of 55 and on june 29th of 1861 she dies in her husband's arms browning said that she died smiling happily and with a face like a girl's her last word was beautiful Hmm, that's cute. Right? I think I'm going to say something like, oh shit. You know, like <laughs> something not cute or, I don't know, eloquent. But she just said beautiful. So Browning uh, never remarries, never is heard of having any other um, relations. He comes back to England for a hot second, really, just to get some of his works published and kind of be seen in English society, but ends up returning back to Italy, this time to Venice, to um, raise his son. And he later, which it's kind of funny, that as she was living, she had tried really hard to... um, become like the I don't think she had tried really hard but it had been bestowed upon her that she almost was like the poet laureate um where Browning he never acquired it but some of the people that really were inspired by his writings they became poet laureate so uh (laughs) Alfred Austin was the next um who was always kind of a critic but also a, a proud person that really enjoyed Browning, he became the next Poet Laureate. Um, So I thought that was just really interesting that it all comes back to kind of that label. But Browning died December 12th of 1889. So he lived much longer. Uh, But in Venice, but his uh, his body was taken back to England and he is buried in Poet's Corner in Westminster Abbey. And his grave is now immediately adjacent to that of Tennyson's, which I thought was very oh, interesting. That is funny. So that is the great romance of Elizabeth Barrett and Robert Browning. I thought it was really, I don't know, they're so sweet. Although, like, aren't you a little bit pissed that he got buried there and she didn't? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> a little bit because between the two of them, like, I don't know. Everybody goes like, oh, yeah, Robert Browning. I know that name better. But, like, Elizabeth Barrett, especially the sonnets from the Portuguese are some of my favorite. They're, the sonnets are what they wrote, what she was writing to him in her letters. Well, I don't know that people... I think if you said Elizabeth Barrett, no one would know because everything she writes is now published under Elizabeth Barrett Browning. Right. So if you say the full name, I feel like people have heard yeah, of Yeah, maybe. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. But she has the, the... She's the one that wrote How Do I Love Thee, Let Me Count the Ways uh, poetry, which is so beautiful. I love the last line of it because I thought it was just so romantic. She says, I love thee with the breath, smiles, tears of all my life. And if God choose, I shall but love thee better after death. So I like to think of them as like true sweethearts. 
that like made it. And I love that they had a baby and she was freaking 43. <laughs> that they named him Pen because they're both poets and they have pens. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's... That part's too cheesy for me. I love it. <laughs> that is my romance. All right. So it's your turn. Okay. I'm also talking about an Elizabeth. So I'm talking... Did your heart kind of pound when I said her name first? Well, no, because mine doesn't go by Elizabeth. She goes by Bess. So I'm talking about Elizabeth Bess Throckmorton and Sir Walter Raleigh. Okay. I don't know either of these people. You don't know who Sir Walter Raleigh is? Oh, Raleigh? Should I know this? Yeah, you. I mean, you will. I probably I, know. <laughs> once I talk about him, because I like literally, as I plan this, I was like, okay, I won't say that much about him because everybody knows about him. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So, Bess Elizabeth, um, she was the daughter of a diplomat, um, Sir T- Nicholas Throckmorton, and she. So her family was kind of like up there in uh, in royalty, right? Mm-hmm. So she was born in 1565. Um, and she was... So in 1584, when she was 19, since her family was like high up there as she was growing up, she went to become a lady-in-waiting to Queen Elizabeth I. Yes. Okay. I take it back. Yeah. Um, you go. I think I I know who he is now. Right? Didn't they say that he had like kind of a relationship with Queen Elizabeth the First? There, but it's well, there like was a, like a movie that came out like ten years like ago that said that he did, but okay. that wasn't true. Right. But I'll tell you about okay. it. Okay. Because that's tell not why he's famous at all. <laughs> tell me more. Um, he was a famous explorer, but we'll talk about that in a minute. So she, um, so her and her younger brother. Were the were, were worked for the queen. She was a lady in waiting, and she was described as being intelligent, forthright, passionate, and curious. So, Sir Walter Raleigh, we'll talk about a little bit more because nothing really happens to Bess until she goes to court. Um, so he, she's boring. <laughs> yeah. So he was born in 1552. Um, he. His his family, his relatives were really also quite prominent during the reign of Elizabeth and James. Um, he was raised as a devout Protestant, so his family had a lot of persecution under Queen Mary. And okay. so, um, as a result, he hated Catholics. Um, that comes into play later. I'm just, like, <laughs> saying that. Um, Making this very strong statement. <laughs> yeah. So, when he was 17, he left England for France to go fight in the wars of religion. Um, he uh, then went to college, Middle Temple Law College. He began his lifelong interest in writing poetry. Um, All the poets. I know, right? <laughs> They're the only ones who fall in love. Um, so, in... 1578, he set out with his half-brother to North America to find the Northwest Passage. Um, And he, unfortunately, was not successful. He never found the Northwest Passage. His mission actually became a privateering thing against the Spanish shipping. The, (laughs) The Queen's advisors were very unhappy about that, and he was briefly imprisoned. So then, uh, between 1579 and 1583, he fought for Queen Elizabeth in Ireland and distinguished himself during some sieges, whatever. Um, And so because of that, because he was tall and handsome and he, like, you know, helped her with some worse crap, Mm -hmm. (laughs) when he came back, he quickly became one of her favorites. So she rewarded him with an estate in Ireland, um, a lot of trade privileges, and the right to colonize North America. So, if you've heard of Roanoke Colony in North America that know. was yeah, yeah, mysteriously yeah. vanished, he's the one who founded it Okay, and then went back and couldn't find anyone. <laughs> Where did they go? <laughs> yeah. Where are my people? And so oh, then, at, in 1586, he gets appointed. So he comes back. That was in 1584. I couldn't find anyone. He comes back. kind of. That kind of really depressed him, so he stopped exploring for a little while. You know, shit. Um, <laughs> and he comes back, and he becomes appointed captain of the Queen's Guard. And so... Like Jamie Lannister. 
Okay, sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so there's a story that you've maybe heard where he's like with the queen and he has an expensive cloak and she's walking across a puddle and he lays yes. it out. Yes. So anyway, so that's him. He's just really, the queen loves him. He's flamboyant at court, whatever. So when he comes to court, uh, Bess has been there for about six years as a lady-in-waiting. She meets him. He's becoming one of the favorites of the queen. Um, So because she's a lady-in-waiting, the queen has to give approval for anyone to court her, right? Mm -hmm. And the Queen Elizabeth was known for, like, hating it when her ladies-in-waiting fell in love. Like, she... I can't remember. There was another... Oh, yeah. Well, she was the um, forever virgin queen. She had one of her ladies in waitings fell in love with Robert Dudley, and the queen right. was not happy. So, so anyway, yeah, she wanted all of her ladies in waiting to be seen as like extremely virtuous women. So instead of asking for permission, because I knew they weren't going to get it, yeah. Bess and Walter begin a secret, intimate relationship. Secrets don't work, guys, especially secret relationships. It comes back to bite you in the ass. Yeah. <laughs> so by July of 1951, oh. she was pregnant. Mm. Um, so obviously she begged Sir Walter to marry her and he was kind of like, uh, I just feel like this is a bad idea. Like right. the queen's going to be pissed. Um, but he does marry her. Okay. Um, because you know, he, he knocked her up. So right. that was nice of him. <laughs> but, very, um, <laughs> very chivalrous. So, and, and they knew, they knew that the queen was going to be pissed about this. So, but with the fashions of the day, <coughs> sorry. She could get away with, like, wearing the backpack in the front. Yeah. That's what high school girls did when I was in junior high. And yeah. And you knew that they were pregnant. So she <laughs> no, she was able to pretend that she wasn't pregnant. Okay. Um, and she, so she left the court about a month before she gave birth to go visit her brother, Arthur, who was also one of the queen's mm-hmm. courtiers. And she gave birth to a son named Damari. So Damari was baptized in 19... 19- in 1592, so, you know, um, the Earl of Ex- Essex and her brother and his wife were the godparents, so, like, obviously some people knew about it. Yeah. Um, while, oh, what was his name? I can't remember. Anyway, there was some other guy at court who was okay. pe- pretty sure that they were secretly doing something, and so he decides that he's going to figure out, like, what's going on. So after she returns to court... Walter has been at court this whole time so that nothing suspicious would, you know, Mm -hmm. come out. Somebody tells the queen that they secretly got married and had a child. So, Queen Elizabeth is pissed. Oh, yeah. They're both thrown into the Tower of London. Um, And while they're in the Tower of London, because this is 1592, Mm -hmm. their son dies from the plague. Aww. Um, Plague doctors creep me out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, Queen Elizabeth after their son dies, decides to release them from the Tower of London. Like, that's your penance? That's what you get? Yeah, I guess. So... Oh, that's awful. She, she, so, Sir Walter was ordered to not come back to court for one year after he's released. Okay. And Bess is never forgiven. The queen banishes her forever. Okay, I was about to say, I think, though, that's also true of, like, her ladies-in-waiting were... I don't think they were married... And if no, they no, no. Did, you can't be a married lady right. waiting. But you can stay in it, court if she, after. Yeah, yeah. If she, if like, she gives you a permission to get married, right. like you can still hang out in court if your husband's someone in right. court or whatever. But Bess was banished instead. So um, Sir Walter Raleigh decides that like he really wants the Queen to like him again. So after he's released, since he has to be gone for a year. He decides to lead an expedition to Guiana, which is now Venezuela, because he's searching for El Dorado. Right. So he's off searching for gold. He doesn't get a lot of gold, but he, you know, he keeps going back on little expeditions. And Maybe he should go back and find the colony he lost. <laughs> well, it's already lost. There's no point. Um, <laughs> Those people are gone. <laughs> So, but anyway, like, he does bring back a little bit of gold. And since he's, like, doing this for the queen, she forgives him. Um, So he's allowed to be at court, but Bess is not. But the couple remain devoted to each other. Um, Some people say that Bess was, like, a very domineering wife. But other people, those are male biographers. The female biographers tend to say that 
Because Sir Walter is frequently gone on expeditions, diplomatic duties, sometimes in prison, Bess had a lot of responsibility for right. a woman, and that's why she was kind of a domineering wife. Yeah. Which makes sense. Um, so in 1593, they have another son named Walter. Um, and they're okay for a few years. Things are good. Unfortunately... Uh, queen Elizabeth is no longer queen, okay. and it's James the first. Oh yeah, what a bummer! So when James comes in, uh, his enemies of Sir Walter convince the king that he's a threat. Like he was too close to Elizabeth, yeah. and you know, just he's definitely a threat. And so he's charged with treason. Um. So they they. He is there would, a reason or just treason? I mean, basically, they just made something up. Okay. You know, cool, cool. so he's charged with treason. He was condemned to death, but they decided instead he could just be imprisoned in the tower and live there. So that <laughs> happens in 1603. So um, Bess lives in the tower with him. Their son, Carew, is born in 1605 in the tower. They're all in prison there together. I think Bess can leave, but he cannot. Right. Um, Raleigh uh, writes... So, I mean, he's doing okay there. He, his wife's there. His kids are there. They've got servants. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, the Tower of London actually is kind of it's a nice kind place of big to place. Live. Yeah, I don't know. There could be some nice bedrooms in there yeah. somewhere. <laughs> so, while he's there, he writes his book, His The History of the World, in 1614. Um, it's pretty famous, but... Writing it the, in prison. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, in 1616, the king... Um, decides, hey, you you know, you found a little bit of gold for Elizabeth, so I'm going to let you out. I want you to go back to South America. I want you to find some gold for me. So he goes and he is searching. He doesn't find any gold. So instead, he decides to invade Spanish territory, Spanish territory, and pillage mm. it and um, so that he can return to England with the booty, right? Unfortunately, the king is really against this, does not want to start a war with Spain. So, as soon as Walter shows up back in England, he's arrested on orders of the king. So, his so his original death sentence for treason that they had just turned into, hey, you're going to yeah, be in prison, yeah. they decided, okay, that still stands. You've been treasonous again by not listening to me and pillaging Spanish lands. Yeah. And so, he was ordered to be executed at Westminster. So, Bess wow. is very upset about this. Obviously, they've still got two. I mean, the kids are only like, the youngest is only like 10, you know? Yeah. So, they've got some young kids. She keeps appealing it, but the king's like, nope, I'm definitely going to execute him. So, her husband is executed on the 29th of October in 1618. Mm-hmm. Um, he's executed by beheading. And Lady Raleigh and her ladies leave the scene of the death, carrying his head in a red bag. So she has his head embalmed, and Bess carries his embalmed head with her until the day that she dies. No, (laughs) Bess, honey. At which point it was supposedly reunited with its body, although it's unknown where he is buried. So, oh no! Apparently, she would take his head around, and she spent like the rest of her life trying to, like, teach people about like all the great exploration that he did, mm-hmm. and like convince them that keep, like he's, a, he's a good guy, him. and that <laughs> like you know that so that his memory's good. I mean, like now his memory. This like, is what he looked like, guys. <laughs> yeah, like what look pe- at his head. What people know of him now is all good. Of what a good explorer he was, but. This is what's interesting. Just this last fall, they found his head in October. Please don't make it. They somebody was in an attic <gasps> in this place in West Horsley Place, which was the former home of his son, one of his sons. Uh-huh. And so his so Bess lived there for a while, and in that house they found a red silk velvet bag. Oh my gosh! So um. <laughs> So the bag, uh, let me, we'll post this bag on our Instagram. Oh, I want to see it. Do you have um, a picture now? Yeah. So this is what the bag looked like. Oh my word. And they're, so they believe that 
this is the bag that she had that she kept it in. They say it or that she took it away in. Yeah. They say that um, you know she might have kept his head like in a case out. Yeah. Like, but she took it away in this bag. They had somebody from um, who's like knows about that stuff who inspected the bag and said that it's definitely a bag from that period. They can't really tell if it actually held the mummified head, but since she lived in that house, they feel like it's quite likely that that's the bag. Um, Holy shit. And because the head was mummified and, you know, like, yeah. that it's hard to, like, tell, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, some people are skeptical about that, um, and they don't think she really... Skeptics get out. I'm yeah. all about this. What? Because they said that although... The, the stories say that the widow used the mummified head as a visual aid to rehabilitate her husband's reputation. There are no eyewitness accounts of, like, when just she's... Carrying it around. Yeah. But... Probably just a story. I don't know. But I believe it. I mean, and the fact that they actually found... And that the, a, there's a bag. A bag that could fit his head in the home that she lived in that's, like, red, like they described. I, I don't know. I believe yeah. it. No, I'm going to believe it. So. I'm a believer. Anyway, which is why that story is the whole reason that I picked them. Because I was like, who? Who would love someone enough to carry around their mummified head? Yeah, that's a lot. I don't know if that's even love. But whatever it is, we're going to talk about it. a little much. I mean, they say she was domineering, which I hate that term. I don't know why, like, a str- if a woman is, like, strong in her, like, convictions and commitments to a marriage, then it's seen as her being domineering. But whatever. That's um, a little too committed to a marriage. Though. That's a little much. <laughs> <laughs> but... That's super exciting. Oh, that's a goodie. I'm glad you ended. That's a good ender. Yeah. <laughs> good choices. So anyway, that's what we've got for you guys this yeah, week. Yeah, that's our romances, which I think they were pretty solid yeah. this time. Sweet. All right. We will be back once again with more cups of knowledge. <laughs> random findings but uh, unfortunately the weather's getting warmer so we probably won't be drinking tea while we record I know. Ice maybe tea? iced <laughs> iced tea is so hard to make i mean not hard but just it takes a long time you gotta get the ice <laughs> <laughs> well if you're making so... it if you're making it right you're not just icing hot tea true you know so it's just it takes at least eight hours i'm lazy so i'll make lazy lipton iced tea <laughs> Yeah, I'm not going to be that lazy. So I am going to make some iced tea. Okay, that's nice. my goal for next time. <laughs> there you iced go. tea. All right. Thanks, guys. All right, guys. We will see you soon and cheers. cheers.